0: This podcast is sponsored by eBookit.com, self-publishing solutions for the independent author and small press. Visit us today at eBookit.com. Welcome to the Toastmasters podcast, the official podcast of Toastmasters International. Hello, everybody. This is Greg Gazin, And I'm Ryan Levesque. Ryan, it's an annual tradition here at the Toastmasters podcast to interview the world champion of public speaking. And this year is no different. I have to say that I'm typically in awe of the winning individual. This year, once again, it is
1: just no different. Ryan, who are we speaking with today? We have the pleasure of welcoming today the 2022 World Champion of Public Speaking, Cyril Jr. Dim. Cyril was born in the UK, grew up in Zimbabwe, and today lives and works in Poland as a software engineer. This past February, he graduated from... Wroclaw University of Science and Technology with a degree in computer science. Cyril rose above 30,000 participants to win the World Championship of Public Speaking, which culminated on Saturday, August 20th in Nashville, Tennessee. At only 24 years old, he's the youngest winner of the contest. Cyril Jr. Dim, welcome to the Toastmasters podcast. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me.
0: Cyril, of course, at the time of recording, it's just been over a month and... I'm sure you're still on cloud nine. Is it still sinking in and how does it feel?
2: Oh, absolutely. I would say I'm slowly getting off the high horse. It's still a bit of a buzz to talk about what happened in Nashville just over a month ago. I still feel as though part of me is back there trying to accept that it worked out this year. And I was fortunate enough to be crowned the world champion of public speaking. I can imagine
1: you must have many people celebrating back in your native Zimbabwe, Uh, as well as in Poland, where you live today. And I'm curious, how did you make your way so far across the planet from Africa to Eastern Europe?
2: (laughs) Well, firstly, yes, it's definitely a lot of celebration going on in both parts of the world. I came to Poland initially to study four years back, if we're being specific. I tried to throw my application into a couple of universities in the the United States, uh, MIT, into canada that was i think ubc and the university of toronto those applications didn't work out unfortunately did get accepted into the university of vienna and i didn't get the visa (laughs) and at about that time i was thinking am i actually going to go to college at all i had friends who were studying in poland at the time and they spoke very highly of the academic community here that's how i threw in an application and got on a plane and flew 22 hours from home
0: wow now, Cyril, you did reach the semifinals back in 2020. Of course, you did not get to advance to the finals. And I'm just curious, how are you feeling at that time? And how did you decide to compete again?
2: I took it to heart, I should say. It was a really rough evening when the results were announced because what happened was because everything was online, we did the actual recordings in June, thereabouts. Then we watched the playback and the announcement of results in August. So. I had spent the previous month trying to convince myself, look, you did the best you could. It should be enough. It's going to be fine. And we were all sitting in this big room, me and my friends. You know, it was a watch party for the semifinals. And I rewatched the video a couple of times of the moment when the results were announced because we were refreshing the page constantly to see who the two semifinalists were. And in the video, you can see me rocking back and forth going, it is what it is. It ain't what it ain't. It is what it is, it ain't what it ain't. (laughs) And the moment we refresh and the names come up, I sort of say, it ain't what it ain't. And the video cuts. (laughs) It was a bitter moment, I won't lie. And I started thinking of all the work we had put in to come to the semifinals. And it felt futile in the moment. And I was there thinking, perhaps it's not for me. It just wasn't meant to be, but it was a a tough loss, I should say.
0: Mm I'm almost wondering, I mean, you seem to be so comfortable on stage. Did it have to do with the fact that it was was virtual? And I'm also curious, you know, how did it feel to be on stage live? Of course, not all the contestants or participants were on the stage live.
2: Well, it definitely felt better, closer to my comfort zone. I would say I believe a true public speaker should be able to handle any audience, whether that be in person or virtual. But at the moment when the pandemic happened, it sort of, interrupted my dream which had always been to walk out onto a huge stage with lights blinding me the crowd going wild and so i felt like from the word go i was kind of biased against the system of online contests and eventually it showed in the way i performed now of course after a couple of years when there was the possibility to go on stage i did feel a greater degree of comfort I would say that factored in as well. But we've got a sterling example from Alexandre, for example, who came second. He wasn't performing live and he was still able to connect with the world virtually, which I believe is a hallmark of a true public speaker.
0: I think he used the virtual platform as a platform and delivered knowing that he was using that virtual platform.
2: Absolutely.
1: Cyril, one of the many things that makes you unique (laughs) is that You actually had speech competition experience prior to Toastmasters, going back uh, quite a bit, actually. Can you share with us a little bit about that and maybe how that prior speaking competition experience compares to what we find in Toastmasters?
2: So, my first public speaking contest ever was in 2011, it was organized by the National Association of School Heads in Zimbabwe. And interesting enough, that's also how I discovered Toastmasters, because that contest or the organizers of that contest would invite advanced members of Toastmasters to be the adjudicators. And they would always mention, we're members of Toastmasters International. It kind of instilled in me the idea that, well, this is what comes next. You're going to compete in this contest now, but as soon as you're 18 and you can join Toastmasters, well, that's what comes next if you want to be a professional speaker. More than that, it gave me a lot of experience of what a public speaking contest looks like and what a panel of adjudicators are typically looking for. I participated in that system of contests for six years in total. Five of those years, I would prefer to call them character building because I lost and lost and lost and lost until we finally figured it out about the sixth year and I won my first national championship. The following year, I spent coaching... Individuals in high school, how to communicate, how to speak, how to debate. And in 2018 is when I joined Toastmasters and participated in my first contest within Toastmasters. Over and beyond, I think these contests, like you called them, were preparation for this big contest that I participated in this year. Regardless of which organization is governing the contests, there's still a few parallels that you can find from contest to contest. In terms of speaking styles, in terms of the kind of speeches that win, in terms of knowing your judges, knowing the criteria and all that. So it did factor in.
0: Knowing your judges is just like knowing your audience when you're actually creating the speech. Sirio touched upon finding your way into Toastmasters. And I know you had some also specific things that you learned once you joined Toastmasters. I know in, in one of your little interviews, you had a sort of a funny quip about why you joined Toastmasters. Could you share that with us a little bit?
2: <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. When I competed in Zimbabwe, I had those five, shall I say, character building years when I went for the contest and lost. Now, at the highest level of the contest at the national championships, we, we had this one character who'd be the adjudicator. Goodness me, he got under my skin, not just because he was very bold of voice, but also because he was a really good speaker and I envied him. And I wished that I could speak as confidently as he did. At some point, I just got so frustrated with joining these contests, participating for the entire year, going to the finals, and having this one Toastmaster walking all over me and saying, You could have done this better, you could have done this differently. <laughs> and i said you know what whatever this guy does in toastmasters i'm going to join toastmasters and i'm going to do it better than him and i'm going to rub it in his face <laughs> which was <laughs> my initial approach to joining toastmasters international so
1: how long did you stay in that mindset from once you joined toastmasters i mean i imagine that probably evolved and that's probably not what drove you all the way to the 2022 finals stage is that correct
2: i must admit that because positive feedback came so early in my life. I was tempted to believe that I was quote-unquote God's gift to public speaking. I was tempted to believe that I had it all figured out. And even when I joined Toastmasters International, I was still, shall I say again, riding the high horse of, hey, I'm a national champion where I come from. I'm pretty good at this. I should say it didn't much help that the first time I competed in Toastmasters, I was able to go past club past area, past division, seemingly, you know, with comfort, with a great degree of comfort. At about the time we reached district and I met the other sharks from my district, I still had this feeling of, I've got this figured out. I know exactly what I'm doing. It took a little while longer for me to finally realize that there was probably some ego going into my competing, probably some self-centeredness that I needed to work with and work out of. As a result, I should say, it was quite a while until I realized that I needed to let go of this guy for whom I joined Toastmasters. Hmm.
0: The ego must have been in overdrive. That
1: was driving that for sure at that time. <laughs> have you had any communication with that person since, well, since winning the international <laughs> speech contest?
2: Unfortunately, no. I wish I could sit down with him, have a chat, and thank him. And also rub it in his face just a little bit. <laughs> I think when I think back to him as a character in my life, he was a very positive influence. He gave me, shall I say, this tough love. I don't know if I can actually call it love because our entire relationship was him as an adjudicator and me as a contestant. Now, under that system, we knew who the judges were. So that was the only relationship. In the feedback that he gave afterwards, he gave me a sense of there is still more to do. And if you do the work, you can become a better speaker. However much I hated to admit it, the championship speech I gave in 2016 was much, much better than my attempt in 2011. Now, maybe I didn't want to confront that at the time, but it was the truth that he as the judge knew better. And so I haven't sat down with him, but I definitely wish I could sit down with him and say thank you. Ryan,
0: didn't we do a recent episode on learning to accept feedback? (laughs) (laughs) Yes.
1: In fact,
0: we did. Yep. Now, sir, let's talk a little bit about your speech. I'm curious that, of course, you had competed previously, you had done previous speeches. Your championship speech, how did you come up with it? Was it something that evolved from previous speeches? Did you know what your message was right away? Sort of how did that process, how did that thing sort of come to fruition?
2: The idea of a speech about self-acceptance, about being you, about being authentic, the idea of it has lingered in my life for a while. In Zimbabwe, being someone who was born in the UK and grew up in Zimbabwe, I typically had to contend with the question of, why are you trying to sound like a white person? Why do you speak like that? What's wrong with you? And sometimes in these contests that I spoke about, I would always have this feedback of, "Eh, we don't like people who come with accents, pretending to be people who they are not. And From a very early age, I was fighting with this idea of who am I really then? I am living in Africa, not sounding African. My heritage is split. My mother is Zimbabwean. My father is Nigerian. Part of my family are naturalized American citizens or Swedish citizens. My family is all over the world. Who am I really? So the idea of that coming to accept who I was, it was there in the works, but the actual speech hadn't come about. And I'm ashamed to say until a couple of months before the contest, Ndini as a final speech was not even my first choice. It was actually my fourth. I had three other scripts that I worked with before I came down to Ndini and said, probably this speech is going to work. And it's interesting that a turning point happened when we were having this meeting right by the river. It was out in the open, so people were walking by. They could stop and listen to us speak. I was not in my zone, shall I say, but I still went through my script, which was a script that I planned to use in the finals if I made it there. One of my close friends, her name is Tatiana, she was my evaluator on the day. She gave feedback, of course, and afterwards I approached her and said, Now now, tell me, is that the speech? As a judge in a contest, are you going to listen to that speech and say, You know what? I don't want to hear anything else. This is my guy. And she looked at me and she said, Nah. No, no, that's uh, that's, not, that's not the speech, Cyril. I've heard you speak much better. I know you can speak much better. And at that level of the contest, I want you to be remembered for something much better. You're going to have to dig deep. Two months out from the contest, and my best bet at winning it has just been thrown out the window. And I was frustrated. I was really frustrated. I spoke to my mentor, and we went back and forth. We were literally arguing. This is how stressed we were that we didn't have the idea for the speech and we weren't quite sure that we were going to make it to Nashville to begin with. As soon as we hung up on that call, I remember looking at my passport and thinking, my life is so difficult because I've got a Zimbabwean passport. I don't even know if I'll be able to go because I've got a Zimbabwean passport. And I and I looked at the passport and I laughed and I said, yeah, this, this is me. Hmm. Wow. Maybe. This is me. And... And the idea hit me, and I finally wrote up the 700 words. That's where Ndini was born. Wow,
1: that's fascinating. (laughs) What a story. I believe I read something you shared that you actually made a last-minute change backstage during the
2: contest. Is that correct? That's right. We were thinking throughout that we want those seven minutes to be a very universal, very authentic rendering of events and in the original script the one I printed before I got on the plane the interaction with Nick had a Toastmasters context now it was all right but we thought this is going to speak to Toastmasters only and you want to speak to the world and I don't know why I'm saying we because this is literally me a couple of minutes before <laughs> and I thought Nick and I studied at the same time. We were at the university together. We saw each other at the university so many times. We would hang out in the library. We spoke about anything and everything in that library. We became really close friends, partially because of the time we spent together in university. And I thought, well, why don't you have that chat with him, that turning point in your story? Why don't you place it in the library where so many other meaningful conversations happened? I was thinking, well, what about time? I thought, don't worry about time. What about, what happens if I stutter? I thought, I spend so much time with Nick and this is really my story. There's no way I'm going to make a mistake. And in the adrenaline of it all, I made the last-ditch choice to go on stage and put that story with Nick in the library. And I'm happy that it worked out in the end. We were constantly evolving that speech because we wanted it to have the greatest impact. And that was one of the results.
0: Well, I think except for time, I mean, that really emphasizes Indini. this is me, because that's who you were, and you were there at that point, authentic, on stage, at that moment, in real time. Absolutely. So, Sarah, you talked a little bit about your preparation. You talked about your impromptu. What I find interesting is that when you had your little interviews after, I think, with the contest chair, and it might have also been in the article, you talked about methods of preparation for the contest. And I know that one point I heard you say, you would prepare by like going outdoors where the audience owes you
2: nothing. So I'm curious, can you maybe elaborate a little bit on that? Certainly. We understood early on that Toastmasters is a very supportive environment. And if you're going to get feedback in there, people are going to emphasize more what you're doing well. And we realized that in the contest, everybody's doing everything well. These guys are good. I believe some of the best speakers in the world So we thought we needed to switch that up and step into a more hostile environment, an environment where people were hoping that you blow it. The first option that we had, which readily welcomed us, was open mic comedy. They allow people to go upstage, they give them five minutes, and you can try and be as funny as you want to be. And for the first speech, particularly Bogdan, humor was a huge anchor in that speech. So that was a perfect story to try and practice in a comedy club. So we took just the story, not the speech around it. We took it there and we tried it out. Now, in that environment, like I said, some performers have the audience cheering for them. They leave people in stitches. And in the same vein, some people could have an absolutely dead audience. If you go there on a bad day, the audience could actually boo you. So we felt that was the most reflective feedback we could get of just how the speech was doing. And more than anything else, it told us how an international audience, people who aren't necessarily Toastmasters, how they would receive it, because that was also the goal, to make the, both speeches appeal to the entire world. So that was one way. The second way, this was done by one of the local clubs. They didn't have the meeting indoors, but they had sort of a roaming meeting around the city. And we would stop, and one person would give a speech, and then we'd continue on. Now, what this does is that while you're speaking... There are people who are just walking by. Some of them are going to stop. Some of them are going to pull out their camera. Some of them are going to laugh. Some of them are going to clap mid-sentence. And you are going to feel uncomfortable. So that greatly, greatly helped. It greatly increased my threshold for discomfort. The last, and shall I say my most practiced method, was approaching strangers and saying, look, I am going to give a speech that just might change my life it's 7 minutes long i don't want anything from you i just want your 7 minutes do you mind if i sit down and tell you my story we did this here in poland and we also went downtown in nashville and we did this we stopped a few people and and we asked and they were all very nice to to say yeah please sit down let's hear what you have to say for me that was the most reflective feedback i could get because this was feedback on a human level if somebody's got food in their mouth and they're trying not to choke because you said something you know for sure that there's something in that joke. Or when I was saying Dini to this couple, they were sitting there and I understood that they were on a date and I was perfectly, perfectly prepared for them to just send me on my way. But they asked me to sit down. And in the introduction, the lady, she looked at her clock and she looked down. You could tell she was still saying, you know, get to the point, get to the point. Halfway through, she starts smiling. About three quarters through, she stops smiling, but she doesn't break eye contact. She's looking deep into my soul until the rest of the speech. And at the end of the speech, she doesn't say anything. It's the boyfriend who does all the feedback. Like, oh, that was a great speech. But she's just she's just sitting there quiet. That silence for me was feedback. And I thought, well, maybe that there is something in this speech. Because remember, this was my fourth option it wasn't my first choice. It was a speech where I really needed to strip down and say, this is me. So those are my three methods of preparation. Besides just the club, we tried to put it out in the open into the general public. And we got as much feedback as we could about how the speech would land all around the world.
1: I'd love to know, especially with the example of approaching strangers to deliver the speech to them one-on-one or one to a couple of people the speech you gave on nashville was on a huge stage in front of a large audience did you deliver it as if on that big stage or did you tweak your delivery style given the fact that it
2: was a a very intimate setting so my mentor and i we firmly believe that a speech should be like a conversation with you one-on-one just slightly larger Of course, I didn't go about all the mannerisms of walking around and spreading my hands. I tried to keep it as conversational as possible. We felt and I believe that if I could win someone over without the need for going over the top, then there was value in the script. We wanted to win using the power of the word rather than the power of the presentation. So it was a conversation, just a conversation with somebody where I said the story. Interesting.
1: You've mentioned several times, we did this, we did that, and you've mentioned your mentor. I wonder, can you share with us a little bit about who were the people, the mentors, the coaches that were supporting you behind the
2: scenes throughout this journey? Certainly. My mentor is Naomi Isaacs. She's based in Germany. We've never actually met in person. We met during a storytelling event online. She is an excellent, excellent read of character. More than teaching you how to Perform, she teaches you how to think like a speaker and think for the audience. She's definitely the person who championed the idea of it's not about winning. If you go into this contest wanting to win, that selfishness is going to be impossible to hide. She's got history as a performer herself, not just a public speaker, but doing jazz and all that. And she was a huge help, not just this year, but even in 2020 when the contest run didn't work out for me. There's also my girlfriend, Camila. She's been an awesome help. She's been present for every major championship we've gone after since I came to Poland. More than just being someone who can give me very frank feedback, she's a huge emotional support. Within the club, I also have, interesting enough, for a while we were speaking rivals because we'd be in the contests against each other. Now he was there giving me feedback. He's a member of our club. His name is Naveen. We also had feedback that came from people from other clubs that we met just once. For example, David McDowell. He's actually based in Canada right now. And this was right before I flew out to Nashville. And can you believe that this guy brought three different sets of judges criteria from three different public speaking contests hosted by three different organizations? And he gives me the Toastmasters one. He says, this guy hits 92 out of 100. He gives me the second one. This guy hit 103 out of 120. He gives me the third one. This one hit 69 out of 75. Let's see if you can beat them today. So it was a team effort, really, a team effort. Many people who came in and made the investment to make sure that we could do something in the World Championship Contest.
0: It sounds like you're a good student. You had your mentors. You listened to your mentors. You also had a lot of your own experience, and and it seems that you're wise with wisdom. You had mentioned previously, or you had mentioned in the article, that you thought that your age would perhaps negatively impact the audience's perceptions. Why did you think
2: that? As a contestant, I know what it's like to lose to a younger person. This happened to me back in Zimbabwe. I was there competing. I felt I was a seasoned contestant, although I'd never won the contest. And there was this lady who was in the contest for the first time. She was the youngest one there. And she goes on to win the contest, and that stung a bit. I imagine that going into this much bigger contest where people have springboarded off this contest into large careers as public speakers, I thought for sure nobody, this was me thinking, nobody's going to take lightly to a young person walking into the contest and thinking they can take it all. Looking at it more logically as well, I understood there is no way I can lecture anybody on life because I'm still figuring it out. I've made plenty of mistakes. I will make plenty more mistakes going forward. So I realized on that front as well that I didn't carry as much weight as somebody who could come on stage with actual life experience and talk to the audience and help them see things from a mature perspective. So I thought for sure that my age would become a problem. In fact, I only ever made a point of the fact that I was 24 when it was all said and done. Before (laughs) that, I tried to keep it quiet.
0: Well, just for the record, for me, age did not come into it. For me, I felt that the message was deep and profound and and your unusual journey, the journey that you took to get to where you are now,
1: for me, was very impactful. Well, thank you. Cyril, how do you think this experience and now the result, the capstone of having the World Championship of Public Speaking title, how do you think that will change the trajectory of your life and perhaps your career?
2: I think for sure it greatly helps as far as becoming a professional speaker is concerned. I always enjoyed helping people to discover their voice, helping people to become better writers of scripts or better presenters on stage, or to basically convince people that they had it within them to be memorable speakers. I feel that having gone through this journey, I'm in a good place to disseminate that knowledge. I realize as well that much of this knowledge was given to me at a very young age. And that definitely changed the way I speak right now. The fact that I started early, I am mindful of the fact that back home in Zimbabwe, there's an entire generation of, I believe, more talented individuals who just don't have access to world class coaching. And I believe for sure that using this platform to reach out to them and be a source of not only knowledge, but inspiration to them is a privilege, if not anything else, an absolute privilege. This opens the door to other goals that I've had for myself, some that I say out loud and some that I keep secret. Goals of hosting huge events around the world, goals of traveling more around the world and speaking there. I imagine for sure that the world of speaking becomes much easier to access once you've taken this track of competitive public speaking and earned your stripes.
0: Well, Cyril, this has been absolutely fantastic. And folks, if you're listening to this, Cyril mentioned about secrets and this podcast is no secret. Make sure that you don't keep it a secret from your friends and family. So please take an opportunity to share the podcast. Toastmasters Podcast is available on toastmasterspodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcast, now on Spotify and pretty much anywhere you get your
1: podcasts. Cyril, I'm sure there are many listeners who would want to get in touch with you, perhaps districts who might want to invite you to speak at their event. What is the best way for folks listening to get in touch with Cyril Junior Dim?
2: Well, you can certainly find me on LinkedIn. My professional profile there is Cyril Junior Dim. Email at cyrilthespeaker at gmail.com. I will be putting up a website very soon, cyriljuniordim.com, where you can find further contact details. I'm also active on Instagram, Cyril Junior Dim, if anybody would like to reach out to me or invite me over, which would be great.
0: And we'll certainly put that information and links in the show notes. And of course, please take an opportunity, if you haven't already done so, to check out Cyril's winning speech, Ndini, N-D-I-N-I. This is me, something I will never
1: forget. Cyril, thanks so much for joining us on the show. It's been a pleasure.
2: Thank you very much for having me.
0: Isn't it about time you published that book you've been thinking about? We can help with that. At ebookit.com, we've been providing authors and small presses with ebook publishing services since 2010. Visit us today at ebookit.com and let us know how we can help you.